Disciples who have practiced well, Tamayang Bhagavan Dang Sadama Sasangang, to these the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, Imehisaka Rehiatarahang. Aropitehi abhipujayama We render with offerings our rightful homage Sadhu no pande bhakava suchira parini putopi It is well for us that the Blessed One Having attained liberation, Bhajima Janatanukambamanasam still had compassion for later generations. Ime Sakare to Katapana Karabhute Patikanhatu. May these simple offerings be accepted. Amhakandi garatang hitaya sukhaya For our long-lasting benefit and for the happiness it gives us. Arahang samma sambuddho bhagava the Lord, the perfectly enlightened and blessed one, Buddhang Bhagavantang Abhivademi, I render homage to the Buddha, the blessed one. Sakato Bhagavatadamo. The teaching so completely explained by him, Dhammang Namasami, I bow to the Tamma. Supatipanno Bhagavato Savaka Sango, the Blessed One's disciples who have practiced well. Sangang namami, I bow to the Sangha. Andamayang Bhutasa Pakavato, Pubapa Kanama Karangaroma say. Now for the preliminary homage. 
and conventions tamahang bhagavan tang api pujayami tamahang bhagavan tang sirasanamami I chant my praise to the blessed one 
I bow my head to the Blessed One. Andamayang dhamma bituting aroma se.
the sitting <clears throat> posture, the breathing, sound of silence, <clears throat> being the puto, knowing Dhamma, the truth of the way it is. Or being the owner of the body, uh, identifying with your breathing, and being a person, creating yourself as a person that's uh, got to do something, that's thinking and judging, criticizing, wants uh, all the good things and wants to get rid of all the bad things. <clears throat> so this is just a reflection of, you know, it's just a shift, isn't it? From this uh, personality, this sense of me as a person and all the kind of qualities of personality, complications of being a personality, to this imminent trust in awareness, just a shift, you know, subtle, where we see the see the see conditions, see experience everything in terms of Dhamma, or the way it is. So this means we see the old condition, we're observing the changingness of conditioned phenomena, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, psychic, there's uh, sight, smell, taste, touch, we're seeing Dhamma, there's this knowing Dhamma, uh, they say, Sankarani, Cha, all conditions are impermanent. Or when we fall back into the personal interpretation, it's, then it becomes complicated. Me and my problems, my fears and desires, my aspirations, my grief, sorrow, my body, and if we, if we don't know the difference, then we're stuck on that level of just always being limited, bound to physical identity, to, uh, that is, you know, just getting old. And we'll die. So that, then there's this fear of death, what will happen when I die? We feel I'm going to die, my body we feel it when the body dies, I die. I die with my body. So in uh, this uh, puto dhammo sanko relationship, these are conventions, admittedly, they're words, but they're, they're not to be grasped as beliefs in anything, but reminders. So religion, any religion, 
is really a convention for reminding, remembering, where rather than, you know, when we create it into something sacred, the conventional into the sacred, then, um, <clears throat> you know, we make it ultimate and an end in itself. We're binding ourselves still to conventional, to conditions, rather than pointing beyond the conditioned realm. So, my, you know, this uh, Theravada Buddhism, these teachings are pointing, not pointing to themselves or to Theravada Buddhism, but uh, merely like directional signs. Which way is San Francisco? And then you, you follow the sign, you get there. If you just attach to the sign pointing to San Francisco, you'll never get there. Uh, the, the concept of purity uh, we think we you know on the personal level do you do you see uh, do do any of you really conceive yourself as pure as a person you know I don't most of it not. Is, uh, I can't claim my personality is pure. So then the, then the sense of purity are from the Sakyaditi level. This, this, uh, reflect on this. <clears throat> if, if, I'm, if I'm trying to make myself pure from an idea of purity, which is an ideal, or is it a reality? And so, but on the personal, if I'm caught in the Sakyaditi problem, then, then there's always going to be a doubt. No matter how good I am, no matter how strict I am with monastic discipline, uh, no matter how virtuous I try to live my life, I've never felt really pure personally from keeping the Vinaya or being good. There's always a sense of doubt about it. So, you know, this sense of what is purity? Uh, is it just annihilation, you know? The, <clears throat> just wipe everything out? <laughs> Is it like those uh, kind of uh, agents you use to clean the toilet that kills every German site?
Or is it awareness? And I just, oh, this is an investigation. I'm just using this word purity. So in, in uh, you know, just reflecting this way, then I see that Puto is pure, or Buddha, or in, in a practical sense, uh, getting outside the, the Pali word itself, <coughs> mindfulness wisdom. So this mindfulness wisdom is not Sakyaditi. That's why, you know, you can fool yourself, you can convince yourself, I'm very pure or I'm purer than you are, that kind of thing. Uh, it can be, you know, a kind of conceit of I'm the most pure person in this room. <laughs> it could carry it to, to, you know, a kind of ultimate arrogance. Or is purity our true nature that we're accessing through awareness? So this is, this is an investigation, it's not a doctrinal teaching I'm giving you. It's for investigation, taking the word purity, and what do we really mean by it? It's common enough English word, it's not, you know, it's not a rare kind of concept in ordinary English, but it, what do we mean? And in terms of purity, here and now. So then, then um, through this kind of investigation or inquiry, then the insight I have is purity is this awareness. And, and so this purity is always with us, it's not, it's, it's, or you can even go as far as saying it's consciousness, pure consciousness, because consciousness in this respect isn't, isn't flavored with Sakyaditi Silabhata Bharamasa Vichikecha. So then you, when you, when you, you talk about you know, the enlightenment is going home, returning, you know, the, the story of the wander, spiritual wander that searches the world for, is, you know, a true home and ends up back where he or she started. So this, uh, this, uh, this awareness then is the gate. This, when we use these words, sati sampachanya, these are, these are conventions in themselves, but it's pointing to this, points to the gate, to the gap, to the awareness of the way it is. So the way it is in terms of, of sankhara is like this. So your ability to observe the body, the posture, the sensations of sitting, the breathing, uh, feeling hot or cold, pleasure, pain through the body at this very moment, or emotionally, you know, what you're feeling right now, 
happy, sad, dull, doubtful, resentful, whatever the, the emotional uh, mood you might be noticing, that which notices the mood. That's the purity. And so you say that's your true, take that identity, you know, the refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha rather than, uh, you know, fully committing yourself to your personal conditioning, cultural biases and views and opinions about how things should or shouldn't be. Now, Sakyaditi is the first fetter of ten fetters, and uh, then, uh, then the the uh, eighth fetter. This is. Uh, is called mana, or translated generally as conceit. So this, uh, the first three fetters are for realizing stream entry, sotapanna. So this means that these artificial things, these uh, created, uh, culturally programmed, like language, uh, cultural attitudes, conventional, cultural conventions, the ego. These are, these are obstructing the, the path or the stream. <clears throat> That's why it's, you know, I feel it very important to emphasize, get to know these fetters. It's not about getting rid of them, but they're no longer, they're not really the problem. The fetters are not the problem. It's Attachment, ignorance and attachment, identity, commitment, unquestioned commitment to conditioned phenomena that is the, is the obstruction, the obstacle. So personality is not an obstacle, nor is cultural conditioning, nor is thinking. <clears throat> But attachment to these out of ignorance is the, is the obstruction. Now the very last fetter is, is, uh, that falls away is avicca, or ignorance. So the, in the, the last three fetters is the, uh, fall away, and then this is what they refer to as arahant. Now that's mana, utacha, and abhicha. And these are the Pali terms. Mana is a sense of I am. There's still a sense of separateness. But it's not sakyaditi in I am Ajahn Sumedho, I am good person, bad person, whatever. It's just a, a, a still an unresolved sense of separateness. Which in, in like in the Advaita Vedanta systems they use, don't they? I am that, that kind of thing is Christianity, I am that I am. 
So this is, uh, this is not Sakyaditi. And so in this word conceit, it's not like mana isn't like personal conceit, but it still uh, uh, can be a, a subtle sense of separation. Because it's a fair enough statement to say, you know, to, to acknowledge existence as a separate entity, I am. It's not, it's not separate yet, it's not, you know, defining myself as a person, it's merely a statement of being present, this body present here and now. That subject, pure subjectivity, I am, and then, then uh, I am that, or who am I? These kind of questions, it's ways of inquiring, and, the, and then in the Advaita they drop away too. They're not, they're not ends in themselves. Uh, is this skillful use of these conditions? Because I am is still a word, isn't it? Still, a, you know, whatever language you speak, you have your own way of of asserting your presence, your being present. Now, I say, you just experiment with I am on a universal scale. I am consciousness. I am love. Or then, because these are using unconditioned love, not a personal liking or um, infatuation or anything like that. It's, it's this, uh, I am unconditioned love. I am consciousness. That works. And it's still, it's universal, isn't it? It's a universal. It's not defining your separateness. But then, then you say, I am Arjun Sumedho, I am a man, I am a woman, I am a Buddhist, I am an American, I am Caucasian, black, I am young, old, I am happy, sad, good, bad. Then we, we get into the adjectives that are personal identities. Well then in terms of uh, a fetter, this, this you see uh, as you investigate, you don't need to do this anymore. It's not, I am the need to, to, uh, to, to think falls away. And it's just pure consciousness. And restlessness, udacha, is, is the nature of this realm. <coughs> A changing realm, isn't it? The, the, sankara, the sangsara, the conditions changing. This is this is a, a rest. The, this is a restless realm, the sense realm. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, feeling. It's all about movement and change. And so the the restlessness is 
is, uh, you know, we want to get rid of it. We think we have to get rid of restlessness. <clears throat> we think the Arhan isn't, doesn't have any restlessness anymore. Completely beyond it, conquered it. And this is, a, this is still uh, personal interpretations of that. But in, in inquiring into this restlessness and avicca, ignorance of the Dhamma. So the complete relinquishing of avicca doesn't mean you don't feel restless, but you're no longer. I mean, you've seen it in terms of the way it is rather than as some kind of personal uh, or seeing it in, in, you know, just in being caught into it. Not seeing it in terms of this, this in Dhamma, but seeing it in terms of maybe um, a, a fetter or a problem for you. So then this, when we talk about stillness, this sense of stillness, the one-pointed ekagata, or agupa jedavimuti, unshakable heart. Unshakable deliverance of the heart. So it's uh, agupa, is unshakable jeta vimuti, deliverance of the jeto, jitta, consciousness, heart, whatever words you like to use. Now, this is, uh, and if you practice this way, then you do experience this sense of stillness, unshakability. It's reality. And, and, that, and then that puts into perspective the, the restlessness, the, the lingering sense of separateness I am, and the, uh, you know, the, the uh, any kind of subtle movements and that 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 still remain unacknowledged but you're you're no longer deluded by them because you're you're centered in this stillness natural stillness which is not a static dead stillness it's alive It's not like a, you disappear into a void, a kind of dead void of, of nothingness. So the Agupa Jeta Vimuti, the unshakable deliverance of the heart, is not, you know, that's, that's more poetic. Or you can put it, you know, it's... <laughs> Complete cessation, that sounds almost nihilistic. <laughs> and the word heart, we use 
uh, you know, we like the word heart because it does convey uh, a sense of life. We're not just ca kind of cutting ourselves off from feeling and not feeling and just going into a state of dead stillness, sterile, unfeeling, uh, void of nothing. I mean, that's annihilationism. And that's how it might sound in the, in the thinking, in the logic that you might use in, in just grasping the concepts of Nibbana or the Arahant or whatever. Or take the, it's interesting, the, the zero. You, do you realize that Europe didn't have a zero till fairly recently? And, <laughs> and, that, and that zero came in through into Europe through the um, Muslims, <laughs> through the Saracens, the Saracen invasion. So I mean, that's in like ninth century or whatever. But the, in fact, Christianity thought zero was evil. It was outlawed, it's the devil, it's annihilation. Now, according to the history of zero, it was first known, uh, used by the Sumerians, the civilization Sumeria, which I think is Iraq today. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, and then it went to India, and then the Arabs, the, because they were traders. Uh, uh, picked it up from India and brought it into Europe. Or Alexander the Great, actually, it, when he went to India, he, found, he brought it back to Greece, but it never, you know, it was dismissed. It doesn't, uh, the Greeks never used zero to build their beautiful uh, architecture or the Egyptians. This is interesting because uh, now we just take zero for granted as part, you know, as part of mathematics. And it, you know, it's a very practical thing to have. You can add zero plus one equals one, doesn't it? But zero times one is zero. And this is, you know, just uh, it's a, it is an annihilation, but it allows things to cease, you know, so you start anew. In mathematics, isn't it? And one, then, is, is uh, like, a st in this sense, the number one uh, implies division. One digit coming from zero. All numbers from one through nine come out of zero. So zero and and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, they're not conflicting with each other. 
that, you know, you don't annihilate numbers with zero as some kind of final annihilation of everything. Or in meditation, you're not annihilating the world or the self or cultural conditioning or altruism or idealism or anything. You're not, it's not an annihilation. But it gives perspective on all the rest. Zero, emptiness. Without that, then we are merely fumbling around with numbers. <clears throat> and good enough, we can, you know, the Greeks certainly created beautiful architecture and the Egyptians and so forth, and the geometry with, with forms. But in the development of wisdom, then, this is this is uh, where the, the Buddhist uh, is very clear, the, the Lord Buddha is very clear. There is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. And because there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, there is escape from the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned. So in every given moment when you're mindful, you cease. You know, the sense of yourself will, it's like, you know, you're, you're not annihilating yourself. You know, it's not cessation, it's some kind of permanent, absolute, total annihilation of, of a personality. But you're no longer, you, you, you see the suffering you create by just binding yourself to personal habits and identities and conditioned phenomena. And that's the dukkha of the first noble truth. That just, you know, limiting yourself to, to the conditions you acquire. Some of you, some, some people have very good conditions. You know, they get good parenting and and they live in benevolent societies and they you know go to good schools and with with good teachers and have all kinds of good things happen to them so their sense of themselves is is probably very good because they they received very good conditioning but others get a you know go to the opposite extreme where you you know your your parents die, you're an orphan, and you nobody wants you, and you're living in poverty, and you're told you're vermin, and I mean, uh, you get a whole set of lousy conditions to live with, you know. So you know, you're like the Devadas, uh, you know, you get born into. Uh, well-off family, uh, morally respectable, good behavior, kind, gentle, loving parents, in, uh, and having uh, all the advantages is certainly, you know, good conditioning, but not everybody gets that. But then, and so this is where the awakening of the Buddha, you know, the Buddha's awakening is 
not, not saying you have to have really good parenting and loving conditions and wealth and, and, and privilege to become enlightened. It means that even the, the most wretched conditions, if you're willing to be mindful of them, They're not obstructions. So, the sense, you know, one can bind, you can bind yourself to the fact that I, I'm, nobody's ever been very good to me. I've had to struggle and fight my way, and uh, I've been looked down on, despised, mistreated. Uh, my mother uh, hated me. My father used to abuse me, and, and my life is a total wreck because I, all the conditioning was rotten to the core. And so I'm a helpless victim of my conditioning. Or awakening that individual to this Sakyaditi Sila Bhattabharamasa Vichikecha, a way of looking and, and observing. It's not, it's not judging or criticizing. So Sakyaditi can be, you know, is a, one can have very positive sense of positive feeling and respect for yourself as a person because of the conditioning, good conditioning, good parenting, good opportunities. Or you might have not had such good conditioning and so your sense of yourself is aversion, uh, feeling victimized, feeling inferior. But none of this is obstructive. Unless, uh, if, uh, unless you fully commit yourself to grasping the conditioning. One thing most of us find that, uh, is, you know, one, if, one if one has such a good set of conditioning, uh, maybe you, you don't experience that much suffering. <laughs> Hey, let's just be happy, you know, life is wonderful, I'm just thrilled and, you know, I love things and, and uh, you know, why do you want to become a monk, a nun, or sit, uh, you know, spirit rock for ten days? Why not just go out and enjoy life as a banquet, have a party? I mean, this is, you know, this is... Uh, no, there's no any, seen any need for it because the suffering is not the, the the suffering has not become apparent yet. But for others, you know, people with disabilities or that sometimes the very fact that they have disabilities propel them to to investigate suffering because they don't have such an easy life that opportunities. So sometimes our disabilities or our suffering is a, is, a, is a gift. You know, how many people have, you know, never, never acknowledged suffering until they get cancer or they lose uh, somebody they love a lot, somebody, your, your <coughs> beloved partner dies or whatever. And then, then the, the loss of the loved, or having a terminal illness. That can be, if one can see it as a curse or 
unfair, you know, on a Sakyaditi level, or you can see it as an opportunity, as a gift. Because it wakes you up, you know, suddenly you're, you can't just ride along and everything's fine, I'm happy, and because you're faced with maybe terminal illness or, or a grief, uh, uh, you know, where you lost somebody that you depended on, your life was centered around, that you were very committed to, attached to, and then they, then they die. So there's grief and sorrow awaken us to, can awaken us to Dhamma. So in uh, <coughs> Buddhist terms, uh, old age, sickness, death, these are what they call deva dutas, heavenly messengers. Devas are like heavenly tutas are messengers. So years ago, I, I remember when I first became a monk, a Thai monk said, asked me, in Christianity, uh, do you have angels? And I said, oh yes. And, and he said, what do they look like? And I said, well, they're white with wings and they play harps. They're very beautiful. And, and he smiled and he said, Buddha, Buddhism has angels, you know. And I said, oh, what do they look like? And said, Old age, sickness, death. <laughs> and, and monastics, monks, nuns. Now there are the four devadutas. <clears throat> and so this, uh, you know, do you look at old people as, a, as an angel, you know? When you look at old people, what, what do you, you know, do you see them as just, you know, look at that old geezer, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or do you see it as a David Dutta? This is going to happen to me. It's a warning, isn't it? It's a messenger. Look at old people in society here as messengers. That we're all warning you of the, the impermanence of conditioned phenomena. Old age sickness is another David Dutta, where we think, how can we get rid of all sickness? We don't like sickness. And, uh, you know, the, if we could just annihilate illness, sickness, disease, it'd be wonderful never have any sicknesses anymore. Is, but that's part of the human karmic condition, isn't it? Sickness. We get, we get old, we get sick, and then death. Death is some kind of terrifying curse, you know, skeleton, uh, dark, uh, grim, uh, eerie, spooky death. Horror shows are all about, you know, you have skulls and and nasty things that convey evil and death and misery. Frightening images, isn't it, of, that are terrifying. Or seeing it as a messenger. And then the, then the samana, the, the, like the Buddha, 
when he was, before he was the Buddha, the Prince Siddhartha. You know, this story, this legendary story of leaving the palace. It's uh, like the, the palace is where everything is beautiful and wonderful. Like the legendary story of a prince born in a privileged situation, you know, had the best of everything. And the, the, his father forbade any old people into the palace, or sick people, or corpses, or samanas, holy men, sadhus, or anything like that. They weren't allowed in. You just, you want to surround your son with all that is beautiful, exciting, vigorous, lively, and, and, and uh, you know, he didn't want any of the others because they would, uh, he wanted his son to become a world emperor. He didn't want him to become a Buddha or a sadhu. So then the prince, you know, sees through all the, the kind of uh, pleasurable, privileged life of the palace and goes outside and sees a sick man, corpse, old person, and a, and a sadhu sitting under a tree meditating. So, you know, see, I, I like to see my form here as a Buddhist monk, as a, as a devaduta. It has a powerful impression, or visual impression. As a kind of archetype. Because it is, uh, you know, the shaven head and the ochre robe and that is, is, a, is not about fashion or anything. It's about, you know, it's a, conveying a message of uh, seeking truth or spiritual development. So these, these are the devadutas, uh, the heavenly messengers. Well, then, <clears throat> so here in the in the California, for example, these, you know, there's more concern now, isn't there, about old age, and and you know, there's a lot of interest in in treating cancer and AIDS and things like this. It's, where at one time we just wanted to get rid of these diseases. Hopefully back 50 years ago we thought we would have a cure for cancer by now. We had such great faith in medical science that by this time, 2008, <laughs> There wouldn't be any more cancer, and uh, because you know we found cures for tuberculosis and all kinds of other diseases. So there's this you know annihilating disease, or is disease a devaduta? You can you can reflect on it how you want to regard it, a curse, a punishment for your wrongs, or whatever, you can regard it any way you like. But the, the one I found skillful and useful is Devaduta. Physical pain, disease, sickness, 
old age, death. And then to have uh, in your in society, you know, the, this sense of spiritual path, people living, practicing, committed to a spiritual path, you know, who, whose aim, whole aim is toward liberation. This is a, this is a, like a Deva Dutta. Now it'd be Sakyaditi to go around thinking I'm a Deva Dutta. I mean, it's a reflection, isn't it? This is, this is where the sense of purity, thing, I'm, I'm pure. You know, I've been a monk for so long, celibate and everything, I'm purer than you are. Haven't had sex for over 40 years, <laughs> so I'm, I'm slightly better than you. <laughs> <laughs> Or we, you know, we don't touch, we don't have money. Yeah. So that, you know, you, st you have to have money, you know, still filthy lucre, you know. You, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, you know, that's Sakya Ditti, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, I'm better than you are, I'm so pure. It's a, it's a kind of what we, we, you know, a hypocrisy that we detest in religious, in religion holier than thou. And, but that's all Sakya Ditti, uh, in seen in this way. Or you can think, you know, Ajahn Sumato is much better than I am because uh, I, you know, he's lived the holy life and I haven't. That's Sakya Ditti. You see, you see yourself as inferior or lesser than I am or I see myself as superior to you. It's all, it's all the same thing, really, and, and put in this category of Sakya Ditti. So your, your refuge is in the awareness of Sakya Ditti, not judging it, not grasping it or, or annihilating it, but recognizing. Because we all have these various, you know, just notice how the sense of yourself, your ego, operates according to, you know, when you're eating food or, or you know, sharing a room with somebody or, you know, just, you know, we're feeling self-conscious or admiring somebody and, and feeling uh, threatened or inferior to them or feeling better than somebody else, that you're, you're much more clever, gifted than somebody else is. It's not to say not to say you shouldn't think these kind of thoughts or feel these 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 conditions, but your relationship to them now is knowing. You know that that, that is a condition. So your refuge is in puto damo, awareness, the purity of awareness, not as a, a con condemnation of impurity, but recognizing. Can the nature of conditioned phenomena. Its very nature is dukkha, or change. And that's the way it's supposed to be. It's not, conditioned realm isn't supposed to be static. The, you know, where you have just goodness that never changes. Or happiness that, that never dies. But where, 
you, you, you know, these are ideals, but that's not the way things are. To know Dhamma is to see the conditions. And that means, you know, the subtle, refined to the coarse, as uh, anicca dukkanata. And then your refuge is in the unconditioned, unborn. And that is recognized through awakened, conscious awareness. disciples who have practiced well, 